Welcome to the podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. We're continuing in our series, The Best Sermon Ever, which is the Sermon on the Mount. In the last episode, we talked about what Jesus had to say about the things we treasure and how we shouldn't hold on to even good things, for instance, our family, too tightly. Today, we're going to look at the rest of Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 34, where Jesus continues his teaching. The first few verses talk about our eyes and our hearts, two body parts that the Bible often links together. Yeah, it does link them together a lot. And today, we're going to talk about Jesus relating them back to our treasure. So let's start out today by reading those verses. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Chris, one place that the eyes and heart are linked in the Bible is in Numbers 15, 37 to 39. God told Moses to tell the people of Israel to make tassels on the corner of their garments. Might think that's strange. (laughs) Yeah. But the idea was that they would look at them and be reminded to follow the commandments of the Lord instead of, as the verse goes on to say, following after their own hearts. Although people like to think their hearts are pure and good, they're not. Nope, they're not. In fact, Jeremiah 17.9 says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. God knew the Israelites' sinful hearts would lead them down spiritual paths of the pagans. So he gave them something, the tassels on the corner of their garments, so that when they saw them with their eyes, they would be reminded of the way God wanted his people to live and hopefully would follow his word and not the inclinations of their hearts. This is a lot like why we use a cross. Absolutely. Crosses don't do anything magical, (laughs) but I know I wear one because it reminds me of who I am and who God wants me to be. Exactly. And in the passage that you mentioned, God actually uses the words whore after to describe Mm. how he felt about him chasing after other things than him. So, yeah. (laughs) And Jesus is saying it again here in the Sermon on the Mount. The desires of our hearts which often but not always come from the temptations of our eyes, can cause us to move spiritually away from God, which is why the verses in Matthew 6 that we're talking about today follow on the heels of teaching about not loving our idols too much, no matter what they are. Let's talk about the words, Chris, the eye is the lamp of the body. One example of spiritual condition in eyesight is found in Isaiah 44, 18, which says he has shut their eyes so they cannot see and closed their minds so they cannot understand. Right. And that was God doing it. That was God doing it. And there's several other places in the Bible that reference someone having dim eyesight. First Samuel 3, 1 says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, who was the priest, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. The passage goes on. Eli was the high priest in Israel, and he had two sons, both of who were wicked. They profaned God's sanctuary, and they were in God's priestly line, and they were sinning big time. Yep, they were big time sinners. Yeah, and Eli knew about it, and he talks to them about it, but he doesn't do anything else. 
The passage said there were no frequent visions in Israel and Eli's eyesight had grown dim. God isn't talking about Eli becoming nearsighted or farsighted. It's not about Eli needing glasses or contacts. (laughs) This is a reference to Eli's spiritual condition. Yeah, it is. Our spiritual condition is what gives us light. The next part of those verses from Matthew 6 say, if your eyes are healthy in the ESV. In other versions, the word healthy is substituted for clear or good. This is more than just being morally good and healthy. The definition, according to Strong's Concordance and Vine's Dictionary, connotated being simple, single, and whole, or actually fulfilling its office. And the root of the whole word means generous. So what this verse is really saying about having healthy eyes is that a believer will be generously or even single-mindedly focused on the things of God, thus fulfilling his purpose. Humans were created to glorify God. And Colossians 3 tells us that we're to seek the things and set our minds on the things that are above. Chris, from a physical perspective, when our eyes are healthy, they track the same way. You can't look to the right with one eye and keep the other looking straight or in the opposite direction. Healthy eyes will be focused looking at the same thing. They won't be divided. That's a great example to keep in mind when you're thinking about this. Christians seek after the things of God. Our worldview is supposed to be a Christian worldview, not a secular worldview. We should look different than the atheists. We should think different than they do. That's for sure. The example that came to my mind, Rose, for this podcast was being a Christian and still supporting abortion is something that's okay. I know that people say they're Christians and they have been for a long time, and yet they'd still rather have poor women having abortions because all they can see is that that child might be raised in bad conditions, or even worse, they'd rather have the mother have an abortion rather than there being another mouth to feed on the taxpayer's dime. That's worldly thinking. Mm -hmm. That is worldly thinking. And I'm not saying that people that believe that can't possibly be Christians if they think that way, because maybe the Holy Spirit just hasn't convicted them yet. But regardless of the example of worldly thinking that we use, a Christian should see transformative change in his or her thinking. Yeah, they definitely should. That's a good example, and we can think of plenty of others. Yeah. Our thinking should always line up more and more with the Bible. The next verse there, Matthew 6, 23 says, if our eyes are bad, our whole body is full of darkness. Jesus is making a distinction here between citizens of the world and citizens of his kingdom, believers and unbelievers. If we go back to what you said, Chris, about healthy, meaning simple, single, and whole, actually fulfilling its office, then the connotation is to have single-minded focus, wholly focused on doing kingdom work following the precepts laid out by God in the Bible. A Christian who finds himself seeking after things of the world is divided at best. They're not focused wholly on the things of God. This doesn't mean doing church work while neglecting your house or your family. If God has given you those things, then they're already a part of your kingdom work here on earth. But we must do that work, whether it's raising our kids, furnishing and taking care of our house, acquiring things, with a worldview that's oriented by what the Bible teaches, not what the world teaches. I'm glad you pointed that out. We're not saying, as the old cliche says, be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. (laughs) (laughs) We're saying, don't have one foot in the world and one foot with God in the way that we live our lives. 
Cooperate with the Holy Spirit to rid yourself of the temptation to do that more and more. James 4 is a warning about worldliness and goes right along with Jesus' further teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount about loving our treasures. James 4, 1-4 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, it can't get much plainer than that. No, it can't. (laughs) And it can also have to do with our faith and trust in God. The Israelites practiced syncretism, which is they put their faith in Yahweh, but they also tried to enlist the help of the pagan gods, who were false gods made of wood or stone, in order to try to have good crops or make it rain or whatever. In the first chapter of James, he talks about unbelievers being double-minded like that when it comes to asking God for spiritual things, like help with wisdom or understanding the Bible. James says they don't ask in faith without doubting, Therefore, they won't receive anything from the Lord because they're double-minded, unstable in all their ways. So when you're asking for something spiritual, like understanding your Bible more, have faith it'll happen. Right. And James is not talking about asking for more money or... No. And we should heed that teaching because in Matthew 6, 23 to 24, Jesus gives us a warning. He says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We can't have it both ways. No slave has two masters. We're either slaves of God, or we're slaves to sin, and thus Satan. Right. Jesus is not saying bad things about money. He's just using money as an example of a master. Exactly. We might have. Jesus is drawing a dividing line here. If we love our treasures, whatever they may be, more than God, if we need them to be happy, if we put our trust in them, then God's not our master. That's right. It's a dividing line. And I heard a good example of this last week in a sermon by Paul Washer. He talked about a woman with children whose husband left her for another woman. She was depressed and sad, as any of us can imagine, and she was continually walking around like that. And she had gotten counseling from church people, and people tried to help her. This woman didn't know her Bible. One day she came to church happy. When she was asked what had changed, she didn't say that she'd been reading her Bible and finally she had faith that God would take care of her and that he loved her or anything like that. Her happiness came from the fact that she'd had some sort of dream or vision or something. And in this dream or vision, her husband was going to come back to her. And she was believing and trusting in that. She didn't want God She wanted her husband because he was her source of happiness. And her faith was placed not in what God told her through the Bible. It was in something completely unreliable, her dream or vision. That's something that pagan worshipers put their trust in, but not Christians. Exactly. And I would not want to put faith in some of the dreams that Uh, I've had. (laughs) I know. Like we said earlier, Jesus is drawing a dividing line in the sand here. In fact, he continues to draw a dividing line In a good many of the parables, you're either a sheep or a goat, one of God's people or not. 
There's no middle ground. There's no half sheep, half goats out there. No. You're one or the other. Ask any farmer, right? <laughs> and Jesus is talking to his sheep. Just as a reminder, the Sermon on the Mount is for believers about what kingdom life is like. So after Jesus talks about all of that, he goes on with teaching that says, in light of all that I've just said to you, don't be anxious. Matthew 6 verses 25 to 34 say, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Chris, Jesus says that we're to trust the Father wholeheartedly with our lives, our bodies, the food and drink we need to live, the clothing we need. And then he proceeds to give us four reasons why we can trust God, which ultimately extends to trusting him for everything. Right. And before we get to those four reasons, we need to point out that Jesus uses the word anxious, which implies having a distracting care, according to Vine's Expository Dictionary. When we're anxious and worried, we can't focus on the things of God, just like we can't be single-minded when we're enamored with our earthly treasures. Good point. In 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35, the Apostle Paul even goes so far as to extol the blessings of being single instead of being married using the word anxious in that passage. Paul's not saying being married is bad, but he's saying that when you're single, you can focus on the cares of the Lord and not be distracted by having divided interests or having to consider your spouse's wants and needs. Being anxious also shows a lack of trust in our Heavenly Father. It's distracting, like you said, and like Paul said. For a Christian, worry and anxiety are sin. That's not to say that we shouldn't be concerned or cautious about things. But concern and caution should not lead to worry and anxiety. The three necessities Jesus uses as examples of what we worry about, food, drink, and clothing, can be looked at in more ways than just these three practical things. But remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples, many of whom are going to be persecuted, tortured, and even killed. Therefore, Jesus uses your life and your body as the two examples of things not to be anxious about. So Chris, let's go through the reasons Jesus gives us for not worrying or being anxious. Okay, the first reason he gives is your life is worth more than food and drink it takes to sustain it. And your body is worth more than the clothes you're going to put on it. How do we know that? Well, God created mankind in his image according to what it says in Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27. That's the reason that every human life has worth and value. 
We were created in his image and to be his image bearers in the world. Christians, because of their new nature, should be able to reflect God's character more and more to the world as they die to their sin more and more. God's character traits don't include worry and anxiety. No. Nowhere does it say that. We should be a reflection of that. We should. The second reason Jesus gives us for not being anxious is the birds don't sow and reap or store up food in barns. Does this mean that God takes care of our practical needs all the time? Well, we only need to look at the birds for the answer to that. Birds can be shot or hit by cars. They can also fall out of their nests or starve to death. So if God is taking care of us like he takes care of the birds, it doesn't mean that all of our practical needs will always be met. For example, we might not always have food to eat. What it does mean is that just as our Heavenly Father has a purpose for each bird he created, and he makes sure that their purpose is fulfilled, and God is glorified through them, it'll be the same for us. That's a good point to keep in mind. A lot of people take this verse to mean that God will supply all of our needs. And he does exactly that, but not in the way a lot of people understand. Right. Our biggest need is our sin condition and our estrangement from God. When we belong to God, those needs have been fulfilled and vanquished by Jesus. So even if we were to starve to death like some birds do, God has supplied our need. We'll spend eternity in heaven instead of being condemned to hell. Exactly, exactly. I just thought of something. Our cats kill birds all the time. (laughs) Just so they don't kill men. (laughs) They love you, Rose. (laughs) So the third reason Jesus gives. He says, there's no use in being anxious anyway because it doesn't produce any good. It can't add any years to our life. Psalm 139.6 says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. In light of that, worry and anxiety over your life is a useless endeavor. God's in charge of all our lives completely. He's sovereign over everything. Nothing happens by chance or by luck. God is working out his plans through each one of us, and he won't stop until all his plans are fulfilled. Yeah, in light of that, it really doesn't make sense to have worry and anxiety, especially over sustaining our lives. Yeah. So we can be free from anxiety about getting on an airplane or being in a storm or getting on a roller coaster. We don't live fatalistically as if what we do has no bearing on our lives. We pay attention to the emergency instructions on an airplane. We seek shelter in a storm. We fasten our safety harness on a roller coaster. At least I hope you do. (laughs) All the while we do that, knowing and trusting that our Heavenly Father is in control and that in all things He works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His good and perfect purposes, according to Romans 8.28. Right. And we don't sit idly by in our houses waiting for God to bring us food from somewhere (laughs) as if we were birds. No. (laughs) We sow and reap. In other words, we work to buy food from the grocery store. And we trust that God will provide the means for that to happen. Exactly. So let's talk about reason number four that Jesus gives us for not being anxious about our clothing. And that reason is the lilies of the field are beautiful, yet they do nothing to earn it. They don't toil or spin, and the Father makes them far more beautifully clothed than even Solomon at the height of his wealth and power. The Father dresses the flowers and grass of the field this beautifully, something that's only going to last for a short time, and then be burned up in the oven as fuel. 
But we, meaning believers, have been clothed in a robe that lasts for all eternity. Christ's robe of righteousness. Could there be anything more beautiful to wear? I don't think so. And I love clothes. Me too. Christians need to be strong in their faith and believe these things. Believe these promises. So how can we strengthen our faith? Well, here's something you've never heard us say. (laughs) Oh my goodness. We strengthen our faith in God by learning about God through reading and studying his word. And if you're struggling in this area, we encourage you to read Psalm 37. Absolutely. Rose, we say this all the time. People are probably sick of us saying it, but reading and studying scripture is what you have to do. The more we learn about God's sovereignty, his love for us, his justice, and his mercy, the more our faith will grow. And we learn about those things by studying scripture. Our faith will also be strengthened through prayer and through the sacraments, communion and baptism. They're visible and tangible reminders of Christ's shed blood and body that's broken for us. And a reminder of her being dead and now raised to life. As Christians, we should check our worry at the gate and be careful in our speech and our reactions to circumstances of our life. We shouldn't sound and act like unbelievers who fall into two kinds of thinking. One, that everything happens randomly by chance or by accident. That worldview is that there's no design or purpose to life. And because of that, anything can happen at any moment because nothing and no one is controlling it. That causes worry and fretting. It does. And I can't even imagine living like that. No, I can't either. Especially now. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't. But I do hear Christians doing it all the time. They know the Heavenly Father's in control and they still talk like an unbeliever. The second way that pagans react to life because of their worldview is fatalism, which we mentioned earlier. And that's thinking that there's no reason to strive or make any effort toward anything because everything's already determined. We don't worry or fret, but we do take action. We're not birds sitting in a nest waiting to be fed saying, chirp, chirp. We may tweet, but we don't chirp. (laughs) And we may get our tweet restricted or blocked. (laughs) (laughs) Today you might. I might. We have a father in heaven who is providentially working out his plans using first and secondary causes. The first cause is the Lord's decree that establishes what happens. The secondary cause is something like, for instance, the wind, the sun, human choices, etc. For example, what causes flowers to grow? Well, God's the first cause. God decreed that a flower would grow somewhere. Then the secondary cause is the sun, the rain, humans liking flowers, and because of that, planting seeds. Ligonier Ministries puts it this way. God ordains the means to the ends as well as the ends. And the secondary causes really do shape what happens in history but they do not operate outside of the Lord's overarching decree and active governance. And because of that, Christians should go through life with a calm, sure demeanor. We shouldn't be fretting about things, worrying what's going to happen next, worrying about the election, worrying about COVID-19. Absolutely. We're to be different. We're to have a peace and calm about us because we know God is sovereignly in control of all things. And a Christian should not act as if their choices and the things they do make no difference. Proverbs 6, 6 6-11 talks about the ant and the sluggard. The ants diligently do the necessary work they're supposed to do as opposed to the sluggard who is doing absolutely nothing. Nothing useful. (laughs) Christians, as citizens of the kingdom presently, do the kingdom work that God planned for them before the foundation of the world, as it says in Ephesians 2.10. That might be raising your kids, going to your job, 
raising awareness on social justice issues, being against, speaking out against abortion, being martyred, preaching the word, teaching Sunday school, helping a friend, paying your bills, going to Bible studies, whatever. Go do those things and do them well. Do it as salt and light that you already are, being holy and always being ready to share the gospel. Amen to that. And do it all without wasting time and worrying and fretting because you trust God to take care of your needs. Jesus is adjusting and sharpening our focus in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. So don't worry or be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worries and anxieties of its own. That's for sure. Jesus just taught us earlier in the Sermon on the Mount that we pray for our daily bread. We don't pray for this week's bread (laughs) or enough bread for the whole year. And he ends this part of the Sermon on the Mount telling us sufficient for each day is its own trouble. God gives us the grace we need for each day, not what we're going to need for our whole lifetime. Strength for today, bright hope hope for for tomorrow. tomorrow. And that's where we need to end today. If you like what you've heard, rate and leave a comment on whatever podcast platform you're listening from. And check out our website, Proverbs910Ministries.com, or our Facebook page, No Half Truths Allowed. Thanks for listening, and have a blessed day.